Hey, what is going on, everyone? It's me, Mr. Mario, and welcome back to another episode of Mod Chat. For those who do not know, this is a podcast I do here at least monthly in two different forms. First of all, it is available in a video visual form here on the Mr. Mario 2011 YouTube, Rumble, and Odyssey channels. And it is available like an audio-only podcast, like an actual podcast, so you can take it around and listen to it wherever the hell you want to. Simply look up Mod Chat, all one word, on your favorite podcasting app, host, provider, or platform, and you should hopefully be able to find it. I know it's not available on all of them, but it's available on most of them. So if this is your first episode or you are returning, whatever it might be, welcome to a new year 2024. I hope you all have been having a good new year so far. And to change it up a little bit with the new year, plus also with how the weather has been here, because it has been uh, a little cold, to uh, put it lightly here. As you can see, I am bundled up in a special way for this episode. This is actually how I literally like take out Lily and all that stuff. Like I'd be wearing this and it is warm and comfy. Uh, but is it hot? Yeah. Yeah, it is, especially in the room here. So we'll kind of make this quick. <laughs> Anyways, even though this is a new year, we're going to be covering the same stuff that we typically do, in which I come on here, I talk about what new things in the world of modding, video game console modding, video game modding in general, might be of interest to me. Sometimes we're going to do a little bit of show and tell, and if you want to treat this as a news source, you most certainly can, although I typically tell people I don't really recommend it for news, so to speak. This is more just kind of a update of sorts in regards to everything here, and things that I personally find interesting so without further ado let's go ahead and just jump into the topics here because we got stuff from all over the place uh some stuff is going to be from last year in december of course but uh it's gonna be worth looking at don't worry so this was teased about a month ago now but it was still worth sharing in my opinion here this is for the upcoming EvilNat custom firmware update, which has been teased for quite a while by EvilNat himself for 4.90.2 However, this was interesting here, which will probably help out many people. This is essentially teasing the ability to decrypt three key or redump formatted ISOs on the actual console itself, which is really neat to see. Uh, so it says here that developer Nathan Martin, aka EvilNat, has announced a new feature he plans to include in his EvilNat custom firmware for the PS3 an option to decrypt three key ISOs. Now, it's talking here on the Wolo article about the three key itself, which was a optical drive emulator for the PS3, which has long since been deprecated at this point. However, I didn't know too much about it, so it was interesting to see here, and just reading this off, they say that this was a hardware mod and utility to rip, dump PS3 discs and create PS3 ISOs. In some modes, it allowed to create an identical copy of a PS3 Blu-ray, meaning the encryption keys were still integrated. The decryption key was in the ISO, and the three key module was designed to read it and use it at the right time when asked for it by the PS3. The three key mechanism also had a mode to read unencrypted ISOs where it would use the encryption key of any legit disk in the Blu-ray drive, encrypt the ISO on the fly, then decrypt it again in order to thwart the PS3 security. So the benefit here for anybody who was wondering, like they're saying, hey, I already have a custom firmware or a PS3 HIN enabled PlayStation 3. What is the deal with the three key here? In short, this still allowed you to run backups of your games where you could have ISOs, like you take your games themselves, your game discs, you rip them in ISO format, and then you'd be able to play them. It would operate your console like a stock console that also allowed you to just play PlayStation 3 ISOs. 
Um, so that was the neat appeal of it. Now going on to the custom firmware three key support, it says that developer Evonat has integrated support for three key ISOs in an upcoming release of his PS3 custom firmware, Evonat 4.90.2. The developer says, for now, this is what I have, an option to permanently decrypt three key redump ISOs with disk key if available. It still needs to be tested further. I would like to add it to Cobra to decrypt ISOs on the fly, but I still do not know if this is possible to do so. I will try it. So if possible, that would, as they say here, perfectly mimic the behavior of the three key device and would probably be ideal. Uh, but for now, at least the permanent decryption will do the trick here as they state. So looking at this video here that Evonat himself ended up uploading, actually, I think this was originally on Twitter and this got rehosted here. So they're going into Webman, they end up mounting Terraria, a European version of it. As you can see, it mounts, but let's load it up. And this was what will happen if you just load up a bog standard ISO rip that has not been decrypted. You get the 800-117 error. That means the game data itself has been encrypted, uh, which would be like, even if you don't do this here, this is the big thing, but real quick, even if you don't do this here, uh, that would be, for example, I can replicate the same thing, like you can take a Blu-ray disc for the PS3, put it into your PC using just a standard Blu-ray disc drive, and rip the ISO using something like ImageBurn, and you'll have this same issue here in which you need to decrypt it. There's tools and there's certain things you can do to do it on the PC, and it's not difficult, it's just kind of tedious. However, here, there's this new feature in the upcoming firmware that says decrypt three key redump ISOs, decrypts three key redump ISOs from dev USB PS3 ISO or dev hard drive zero PS3 ISO with the key file. So that's going to be key for this. And I mean, pun intended right there. Uh, but yeah, you're going to need the ISO itself and you're going to need the decryption key for that ISO. And then as opposed to doing everything on your computer, as long as you have a way to transfer over the encrypted ISO and the key file over to the system, you can have the system do the heavy lifting. So looking at this here, he's going to select this option. So it looks like first you have to mount the ISO, then you have to go into the decryption phase. And I'm sure he picked Terraria because I don't know how big it is, but I know it's quite a small game, thankfully, so it doesn't take up too much space. But it says here that the ISO has been decrypted, so now he's going to go back. He's going to remount the ISO itself. There we go. And let's go ahead and load this up here. And if decrypted, it should boot up the game properly, which is ideal, and that's what we're looking for. So my only concern on this is going to be, I mean, that was pretty quick with Terraria. However, I think there's going to be some other formats and stuff and just some odd end type discs that need to be worked on. But also I'm thinking for the really big games like that was fine for a quick game. But if a game is like 15, 20, even like 23 gigabytes, uh, that's going to be a little bit more of a pain. So I wonder how the system will handle that. And just keep in mind, you are going to need that storage on there as well, too. Uh, so it will be certainly interesting to see. Oh, there's also a fix C-bomb that was teased right here, too, saying patches the real-time clock with a static value default or current updated PS3 system date. 
useful for PS3 with dead CMOS battery. So what I'm saying here is there's some really cool stuff coming up in the upcoming Evo app 4.90.2 firmware, which I mean, people have been waiting on for a while, but it looks like it'll be worth the wait. With some more news here for the PlayStation 3, uh, here is one application that people have recommended and used and such here, uh, but this is for Movian, in which it has gotten an update, which libav has been swapped for ffmpeg, and there's also a slight name change. So this is from STL Cards WS over on PSX Place, but he states developer Dink, who has been continuing development of the modded version of the original Media Center that started on the PS3, which now works on Android, Amazon Fire Stick, Mac OS, Windows, Linux, and Raspberry Pi. I actually didn't know about that. Um, I didn't know the history of Movian right there. I do know that's how XBMC became Cody and such, but either way, they say the Media Center was originally named Showtime. There we go on the PS3, but later renamed to Movian by the original developer Andres Oman years ago. Since that time, we have not seen the official project do much in recent years. Currently, the home site is down at the time of writing, but developer Dink has been keeping the project alive and evolving. You can see the change logs over at Brawl. You can see the change logs over at Brewology for all archive changes. One of the biggest changes you will see within Movian M7 compared to older versions is the change from the older abandoned libav video decoders parsers to the current ffmpeg that was just replaced in the recent m7 update this should improve compatibility and make for a more up-to-date and versatile media player for all supported platforms including the ps3 also dank has made a quick stop in the forums then to see a reported issue and provide a fix is now present in 7.0.2. So for anybody who is still using Movian, this is fantastic here and should hopefully be a nice little improvement. So it would be worth updating your Movian if you do use that at all on a modified PS3. We have some MIG switch updates. And for those who do not know, in the last episode, I covered this primarily here. This is the flash cart that is going to be coming out for the Nintendo Switch. And in short, this is supposed to work on all models the switch all firmwares does not require custom firmware does not require a previous modification does not require any soldering any opening up the system essentially it is just going to be a cartridge which is in the same shape as a typical game card for the switch you'll be able to put games in xci format on a micro sd card pop them into your switch and load them just like that similar to something like an r4 but if we're getting more specific it's going to act a little more like a sky 3ds for anybody who is familiar with that i'm not going to get into all the details of it however if you want a bigger breakdown of it and kind of my thoughts the previous episode Machat episode 114 was mostly dedicated to this either way we have had some updates here and one of them was talking before about backing up games in which I said that yes, you do have the MIG switch itself right here. This is the product I was talking about. However, I was saying that you do need a way to dump your games if you're going to be using this legitimately and you're not going to be pirating the games that you use on here. It says here that the device consists of two products sold separately, which they're now mentioning because there was a lot of confusion about this. You get the MIG switch card, and there's also the MIG switch dumper, which you can use to back up your own legally owned Nintendo Switch games. They're saying that one's optional. However, there's been some updates over on the home page, so there's a few here in which taking a look at this, we have a little more look at the packaging here, so we can see that review samples are being shipped out today, and we have the packaging itself 
itself here, quite literally a little box, as well as the Mega Switch cartridge itself. I am curious though, here's the thing, there is one screw up top here and I am really curious to see how the MIG switch is going to be updatable because the developers tout that it's going to be updatable. So I am curious to see if maybe it's a thing where you'd have to unscrew this and there might be something in there like there might be a USB Type-C port in the MIG switch itself which you have to hook up to your computer and then you end up flashing future firmware updates. I'm curious about that. I'm legitimately very curious here because I really doubt you'd be able to just update on the Switch since this is not going to be, really this is just going to be capable of running signed code on the Switch, not unsigned code. Uh, we have some promotion here, like a cool promotional video, but there's been a couple other updates here in which they're saying clarification on online play. Mix Switch is a backup and development device. As such, we only support and guarantee your gaming with your own game's backups. This applies to online too. If you want to play online with the full MIG Switch warranty, you need to use your own dumped backups with genuine certificate, UID, and card set ID. Failure to respect this rule might end up in bans from Nintendo Online Service, which we won't be held responsible for. Uh, they got a nice little image right here, but it's also curious because just a couple of things stick out to me. One of them, they say it's a backup device, sure, but they say it's a development device, which I'm going to ask, as I did in the previous episode, I, I don't know what development is happening here because this thing is not capable of running unsigned code unless you're going to be running it on a system running custom firmware. There's absolutely no way this is going to aid development in any way. No homebrew development can be accomplished on this device if all it's doing is playing signed code, which is going to be, you know, signed game backups. Uh, plus the full MIG switch warranty, it's curious they're putting a warranty on there. Okay. <laughs> I don't have too much to say about that. Just kind of something curious they're pointing out there. However, this is what people have been interested in, which is the MIG Switch Dumper. So they say here, we receive a lot of requests about the availability of our second product, the MIG Dumper. MIG Dumper is the perfect companion to your MIG Switch cart. Although not required to use your MIG Switch, it is the most convenient and elegant way to back up your games. We plan to ship the first units of MIG Dumper at the end of February 2024, and it will be available for the same recommended retail price as the MIG Switch cart. A USB-A 2.0 to USB-C cable will be included. The reason for this delay is that in today's market, many ICs, chips, are suffering from shortage to various degrees. MIG Switch Cart and MIG Dumper share some key components, and with those ICs in severe shortage, we decided to prioritize the MIG Switch Cart, since it is most demanded and also the product you can't do without. But we promise to deliver MIG Dumper soon after, with the same level of quality as the MIG Switch Cart. Thank you for all patience and support. So it looks like right here we have this where uh, it is a cool looking dumper like this. Here you put in the game card itself and then it says it has a USB-A 2.0 to USB-C cable. It's interesting here that I'm seeing this is USB-A 2.0 and it is USB-C so thankfully we do have that standard. However, uh, do keep in mind that we wouldn't really see much of a speed increase here. So really what I'm saying is if you were dumping your games from DBI, for example, like using DBI over MTP on a soft modded or hard modded switch or using the MIG switch dumper, I think this would be a little more convenient because you don't have a whole switch tablet that you're having to deal with. 
However, I was thinking earlier today about the speed, and there wouldn't be a change in speed just because you're really limited to the speed of the actual flash storage itself on the cartridges. And if you've dumped Switch cartridges before, you know, for example, that the smaller ones, I believe like the 2 and 4 gigabyte ones, are typically slower to dump than any of the bigger ones. The bigger ones are going to have faster read speeds on there. Uh, so with that, it's still going to be USB 2.0. That's fine. I'm not really all too worried about that. Uh, uh, however, it is a neat looking device, I will say that, so this is interesting here. They do also say it is going to be the same recommended retail price as the MIG Switch cart, uh, so that's also another interesting plot point to have there. I know there was a lot of confusion on this before because it wasn't really clarified where it seemed like we would be getting both of these two, the Switch cartridge as well as the dumper, like included all in one, but I do know they've been updating the site here, so now they've clarified further that the Switch card as well as the switch dumper are two different products that are going to be sold separately although i don't doubt there's going to be retailers that are going to be bundling them together there's still no downloads on here just yet although i'm sure that time will come but for anybody who might be wondering on the pricing point as well too based on the shops that i've been seeing on their where to buy section here it seems like the recommended retail price for the mig switch itself seems to be about 65 us dollars although that does not include any type of shipping and handling where i've seen in other countries for example it there seems to be another like 30 dollars added to that so it's almost like you're going to be paying about you know 95 almost let's round it up let's say about a hundred dollars for the uh mig switch itself if you're including shipping there uh, on top of all of that uh, then if you're wanting the dumper that's going to be about the same so just keep that in mind here i will say with the cartridge itself the mig switch it is cheaper than i expected i expected it to be around a hundred dollars but i was saying in my previous episode i was anticipating maybe just over or just under so it seems like if you're able to get cheap shipping you can get it for you know 65 dollars plus whatever shipping is going to be but it seems like other countries are getting hammered with shipping a bit more so if you're going to be paying you know 65 70 dollars for the mig switch itself or even the dumper and you're paying 30 dollars on top of that that is going to be pretty much what I was saying before, where I said I was estimating it'd be like 95 or 105, and really, you know, 65 plus 30, that's going to bring you to $95. So keep that in mind. Here we have a big update for the Xbox 360, uh, where you could say it's uh, extra large, I guess you can say here. Happy 2024. This is from uh, Eaton over at the Fat Explorer site. They say here, to kick off the new year, a new patch set combining both XL USB and XL HDD patches has been released. They will be included in the next Fat Explorer update, but if you're using JRunner, you can get them now by updating to 3.3.0 R3. The patches make it possible to use one XL internal SATA hard drive and two XL USBs at the same time, unlocking up to 48 terabytes in total possible storage. Here is a picture of what it looks like. If you run into any problems, feel free to leave a comment below. So this is awesome here, and in short, I haven't covered a video on this yet because to my understanding, the patches are still in beta, and they are beta for good reason because there are issues that do crop up with them. But the XL USB and XL HDD patches are patches that you apply to the NAND itself on your hard modded Xbox 360 through a NAND update, and then it enables you to use XL hard drives on there. That being that you can use hard drives past the two terabyte limitation, it can go up to 16 terabytes. 
However, there's several limitations on them. For example, from what I understand, you can't use typically formatted USB drives if you have XL USB set up there. You can only use XL USB drives at that point. XL USB drives have to be set up and modified through FAT Explorer itself. So that's going to limit you if you're typically used to using FAT32 formatted drives on the console itself. Uh, then for the internal XL hard drive patches, I don't think there's as many limitations on that one. However, you can't use that hard drive across multiple hard modded systems unless they have the XL hard drive patches on there. So what I'm saying is there's several caveats if you want to do this, and this is not for everyone because it is give and take. You are going to gain, but you're also going to lose some features. And again, these are still in beta at this point in time. However, you've now gone here, if you have both of these set up, you've now gone from having, you know, a total of six terabytes possible on your console to 48 terabytes as the upper limit on your console, which is certainly awesome to see. And real quick one here, this is for the Deck HD itself, a product that I had covered and I still use on my Steam Deck itself. And this was released by Balika011, friend of the channel here, and someone whose software and releases I've covered several times. So one thing about the Deck HD, which is a screen replacement for the Steam Deck itself, is that in order to properly utilize it, you do have to run a patched BIOS on there. So you have to flash a customized BIOS in order to get everything working properly on it. Uh, there's been some concern, essentially, uh, if Deck HD in the future stops supporting this, what happens there? Well, part of it is this being released here with BIOS Maker. This is now public, and they state that this is a patch utility tool to modify Steam Deck BIOS for the Deck HD screen. So they provide the source code of Uninside as well as UEFI Replace, and the usage here is pretty simple. They say download the source code on your Steam Deck, execute this right here in terminal, bring your own way to generate a valid FD file from the F7A deckhd.binpatchbios or use any BIOS flashing hardware to flash the newly created BIOS file to your BIOS chip. So certainly cool to see right there and just some more transparency and such that we get on this. So for anybody who might be wondering or worried about that, we at least have the open source software available now freely to utilize for this. Here's a pretty big port and I, I love covering ports like this on the Vita whenever we see them because it seems like they just never stop and I was certainly not expecting this one here. Soul Calibur got ported to the Vita by Rene Gattamante. So they stay here on Wololo. Vita developer Rene Gattamante is at it again with yet another cool port for the PS Vita, Soul Calibur. This is once again a port based on the Android version of the game, leveraging a wrapper initially created by the Flow and recently augmented by the Falso NDK and Falso JNI libraries by Glintwine, libs specifically dedicated to porting Android software to the PS Vita. Super awesome there. What's important to understand for the end user here is that those ports do not use emulation, but rather are wrappers against the native Android binary. Bottom line, they run much smoother than if they were emulated. Multiple AAA games have been ported with this mechanism, and you can check some of them here. So asking about what is Soul Calibur for PS Vita? Soul Calibur is a popular weapon-based fighting game franchise developed by Bandai Namco Studios. The series was popular in arcade, got multiple console ports, and eventually the second game of the franchise got an Android port in 2013, which uh, that's probably my favorite, I would say. 
the Vita port is based on this Android release and brings a few modifications either to accommodate performance or some quality of life features. And they actually annotate it here. And you know, I made this same mistake. The second game in the Soul Calibur franchise is Soul Calibur. The first game was Soul Edge. I, I have that one and I always forget about that one, but I was going to say Soul Calibur 2 is probably my favorite one. However, from the developer, they state that the port has been tested with the 1.0.15 version of the game. Some stages, example Water Labyrinth and the final arcade fight with Inferno, may cause frame drops. Please report any of these problems so that a fix can be found for specific stages. When first launching the game, it is recommended to go into Options and lower Background Music and SE volumes to 8 or lower. Not doing so will cause SFX glitching out due to high volume playback. Some stages, Takamatsu Castle and Money Pit, got simplified in background elements to reduce frame rate tanking, which that's definitely good there. Stages that aren't unlockable in Android version due to lack of mission battle mode got restored and will be available to play from the beginning, including alternative stages. So really awesome right there. And thankfully, it looks like for the instructions here, it seems to be about the same of if you've tried any of these other ports from Renegade or any of the other people such as the Flow or Glean Twine, uh, then it seems to be pretty similar. You download the VPK from VitaDB, and then you're going to need to install Kubridge and FDFix if you do not already have them. It is optional in which you can install PSV Shell to overclock your device to 500 megahertz. Make sure you have libshackg SUPRX already set up there. Then you need to get Soul Calibur itself. You need to get the APK. You need to then extract out the APK itself, and you're going to put all of the files that you need into a data slash Soul Calibur folder. Now, one of the differences here, it seems like, is you need a X-Delta UI to extract the zip content. Then you download the shader X-Delta from the release page, and you have to apply it to a shader.dat and replace the original file with the patched one. That would make sense here because they did say that some of these stages were changed, so that would make sense. So really cool to see overall. That's maybe uh, with the X-Delta UI patch there. That's really the only difference you would have to make in regards to that. But aside from that, I mean, looking at it here, it seems to be running pretty well here. And I mean, this is Soul Calibur on the Vita. So really awesome stuff to see. So last month was a really cool month for hidden codes. I know we had Modern Vintage Gamer, friend of the show, who ended up uh, covering and releasing a code for Alien Resurrection, which essentially showed that as long as you stop and block these sensors on a PlayStation 1 console, you can use Alien Resurrection as a boot disk to swap and import or even backed up or even pirated games. However, there was another really cool code that was also released on Christmas, this one for the Sega Saturn being Clockwork Night. And they say here, a Clockwork Night Christmas present. Here's a title screen code to unlock Clockwork Night 1 in the US version of Clockwork Night 2. Up, down, left, up, down, left, right, up, LRLR. Magazine previews hinted at the existence of this code, but it remained unknown until now. And sure enough, I, I think I actually own both of these games. Like, I'm pretty sure I have the both of them. However, it's cool that, you know, we didn't know about this until now, 2023 and now 2024, where if you were buying Clockwork Night 2, you were also getting a copy of Clockwork Night 1 built in. Uh, here's a video of the coded action on the Christmas theme title screen, of course. I cut out the load times. So looking at this here, 
It is a quick video, but this user has a Clockwork Knight 2 loaded up. Let's see what happens. They must have put in the code. Wow, okay. If you want to play part one, here it is. That's awesome. So there we go. And it's even... This is interesting here because it even has this information, like the debug information. You see like the version, the release date here, product code and area code JTU. So this was obviously something that was more in... This is a development uh, little bonus here, I guess you can say, and something meant for that. It, it wasn't... I, I'm... It doesn't show to me, this is not like the, the final, final retail ISO that is put on there, uh, just because the final retail ISO and build would not have those strings on it, but this is still really interesting to see. Just again, having it on here, you load up part one like that, and then once you're able to get in, it loads it up. Really awesome. Now they say here, the standalone part two of Clockwork Night didn't come out in the US. Instead, the title known as Clockwork Night 2 is based on the Japanese Fukubukuru compilation, which included both Parts 1 and 2. But Part 1 is disabled in the US version without this code. It is unclear why Sega would go this route. Maybe they disabled Part 1 in the hopes that people could go buy it, but why leave it behind a secret code? And why hint at it in pre-release media? We may never know. And that is, yeah, that, that is the interesting part about it. Yeah, I personally believe, how do I put it? I, I, I more feel like this is probably something that they might have just forgotten to disable on here. Uh, however, I feel like this was more disabled just by default because they wanted people to go out and buy the first one. However, them plugging this here, if you like this Saturn reverse engineering stuff, check out my blog and my profile. Upcoming post is Sonic and Tails together in Sonic Jam, camera upgrades in Knights and Burning Rangers, tricks Sonic Team uses for hiding unused features, and probably Clockwork Knight stuff too. Clockwork Knight Detective CK WebTweet has been on the trail of this code for years, now we have it. So, overall, like was shown here, if you have Clockwork Knight 2, the US version of it, you also had the first one the entire time. With some more Sega Saturn news, I did want to cover this here with Pseudo Saturn Kai getting a massive update. And for those who do not know, Pseudo Saturn Kai is essentially a piece of software that you can flash onto a Game Shark or Action Replay. I believe it's Action Replay type cartridge on the Saturn itself. And that ends up allowing you to have cheats, to do some extra management. But also the nice benefit is you're able to play backup games from CDR without the need for a mod chip or a swap trick. For some people who might be like, why do you need to do that on the Saturn? Uh, that's because the Saturn is different. It's not like the PS1 where everything is treated the same in terms of discs. For the Saturn itself, you could use, for example, a Game Shark to play imported games. However, the import lockout as well as the anti-piracy lockout are two separate mechanisms. So for a while, you would need to use either a swap trick or you would need to install a mod chip if you wanted to play CDR-based games. However, Pseudo Saturn Kai ends up just combining the two, so with this in one cartridge without even opening up the console or doing a swap trick, you can do both uh, you can do both backed up games as well as you can do both backed up games as well as imported games. But covering this here, the team behind the most widely used Sega Saturn soft mod released a significant update to cap off 2023. 
Pseudo-Saturn Chi version 6.541 comes to the Saturn scene after about two years of development and testing according to lead tester Private Eye. The team, led by developer Cafe Alpha, added a new menu with cheat support for users of the Satiator optical drive emulator, along with improvements to its features for the Fenrir and Rhea Phoebe ODE devices. As always, it enables users to boot Saturn software burned to disks. The long-running mod flashes to a variety of Sega Saturn cartridges. The general pseudo-Saturn Kai changelog can be viewed here, and there's also a separate changelog for the new Satiator menu Kai. Some highlights include an assortment of additional cheat codes, such as widescreen support for the first Panzer Dragoon. You can play as Tails in the Sonic Jam overworld and force Die Hard Arcade into 240p to stop its constant resolution swapping, known to mess with upscalers. It also comes with preloaded save files to unlock everything in an assortment of games, so they really pack this thing tight. In the above image, we can see what is perhaps its most notable new ability, making Death Crimson playable. Its new support for the Satiator device gives users a menu for selecting games on the SD card. This is accessed by putting the auto-boot disk image on the card and does not require a pseudo Saturn Kai cartridge. So that's really awesome. So you can have pseudo Saturn Kai without having an actual cartridge there, which is why they were calling this Satiator Menu Kai. The update has a wide variety of color options and fonts, which are now applied to all menus in pseudo Saturn Kai and Save Data Manager, the latter of which is included with Satiator Menu Kai and allows for the transfer of save files between Satiator and all known backup memory devices, a la Game Save Copier. Satiator users can use this new menu to enable cheat codes for games booted from the SD card. They can perform a soft reset that goes back to the disk image selection menu. Another nifty addition, enabling it to automatically import and export save game data between the Satiator SD card and the internal memory on the Saturn. It sounds like the Satiator is probably going to be the go-to optical drive emulator if you want to have this on your Saturn, uh, just because of the community support behind it. And for those who do not know, the Satiator, to my knowledge, is the only optical drive emulator that does not rip out the optical drive itself. It goes in the back of the Saturn itself where the VCD card would typically go and you can just pop it in with the software on there already loaded and you're then able to play your backup games from it. There was a really great documentary on it several years ago which was essentially breaking the copy protection on the Saturn so many years later. Outside of ODE support, this allows the use of three or six button Mega Drive Genesis controllers in Pseudo Saturn Kai itself. The new update improves support for some games, including those with save files that take up all of the internal memory, like Prisoner of Ice, SimCity 2000, and Valhallian. Compatibility is enhanced for 3D Lemmings, Congo the Movie, Crazy Ivan, and Valora Valley Golf. So really awesome here. This is a huge update, just major update, as it said on here. So if you are using Pseudo Saturn Kai, you might want to get to updating this. We had some really awesome news overall here, but in some sad, disappointing news here, we are going to be talking about Portal 64. Not that it exists, but more the fact that it's been taken down, although it's not a DMCA takedown here. Uh, this is from Ars Technica, and they say that Valve Request takes down Portal 64 due to concerns over Nintendo involvement. It's not the use of Portal, it's the use of an N64 SDK that's the issue. Covering this here, they state, 
any great effort to generate appreciation for Nintendo's classic platforms done outside Nintendo's blessing has a markedly high chance of incurring Nintendo's wrath. This seems to apply even when Nintendo has not actually moved to block something, but merely seems like it might. That's why one week after announcing that his years-long demake of Valve's classic portal to the Nintendo 64 platform had its first slice ready for players, James Lambert has taken down Portal 64. There's no DMC takedown letter or even a cease and desist from Nintendo. There is, as Lambert told PC Gamer, communication with Valve that because the project depends on Nintendo's proprietary libraries, Valve have asked me to take the project down. Ours contacted Valve and Nintendo for comment and will update the post with any new information. Lambert could not be reached for comment. It's far from the first time Valve has taken preemptive action to avoid Nintendo's involvement. In mid-2023, a Wii GameCube emulator, Dolphin, halted its planned release on Valve's Steam platform after Nintendo contacted Valve and requested the emulator not be released. In that case, the Dolphin emulator's weakness to potential action under the DMCA's anti-circumvention provisions was its use of a proprietary cryptographic key from the Wii. Rather than argue about keys, BIOS files, and other matters in court, Dolphin gave up on Steam while keeping the project alive elsewhere. Valve has seemingly been silent on Portal 64 until now. Playing the game required access to a Steam purchased copy of Portal with one of that game's data files then patched by Lambert Software to work inside N64 emulators. Lambert wasn't charging for his project, although he did have a Patreon to further his work on it. Lambert told PC Gamer that he thought Valve didn't want to be tied up in a project involving Nintendo IP, and he didn't blame them. So that was the big thing right here, and to me just shows that not even a you know, big company like Valve wants to take on and deal with Nintendo, because the first thing I thought of when I heard this was, oh, you know, we saw this thing with Dolphin, in which that kind of came out, because I believe to my recollection, Valve was the ones who actually reached out to Nintendo and asked, hey... So we're going to have a Wii GameCube emulator come onto our storefront. Are y'all cool with that or is there any issue here? And here it seems like Valve was actually just kind of extra preemptive about it after the whole thing with Dolphin. They say here that the Nintendo's proprietary libraries at issue inside Lambert's project appear to be LibUltra, the official SDK provided to those developing Nintendo 64 games on silicon graphics machines and later other platforms. There exists an open source N64 SDK called LibDragon, but Lambert told PC Gamer that he wouldn't move over to that without assurance that it would appease Valve, and by proxy, Nintendo. Lambert has many more N64-related and adjacent projects to work on, judging from his YouTube channel. So this does cover a big thing here, which unfortunately a lot of people seem to forget about. So I actually didn't even know the name here. Lib Ultra is the official SDK here. But yeah, if you are using a SDK and you are not licensed for it, and the software you're making is not licensed, at that point you can run into issues like this. So when it comes to everything here, is it disappointing that this got taken down? Yes. Uh, however, the way it was taken down, it was not a DMCA, it was not a cease and desist, it was more just Valve talking to the developer and saying, hey, this is why this is an issue here, 
here's what's going on. And this here, I would say, is unfortunately a valid reason here. So all I can say here is really Portal 64 was definitely really cool to see in regards to this. Um, if possible, if they do want to take it further in development, it would be really awesome to see this pushed further and redone with the Lib Dragon SDK, uh, but time will tell with that. And really capping off this long episode here for the introduction back into 2024, what I like to do typically is at the end of these episodes I like to cover something that is neat interesting cool funny what have you that could be related to the world of modding or tangentially related to it and here I want to share this post from computer nostalgia heaven in which they say discover the rarest Xbox 360 the SLT system level tester join the select few in the know so this here is a prototype Xbox 360 itself, really cool looking overall. And as you can see here, this is actually not, like, this is not, how do I put it, um, this is not a homemade case. Like, it's not like someone just made this in their basement. This is straight from Microsoft. So it could have been made in Microsoft's basement, mind you. However, this is what they were using to do some testing on the Xbox 360. This is really cool to see overall, and this seems to be more specific for the GPU itself. However, right here, you can see that you do have a Xbox 360 motherboard, of course. You have the hard drive here, which is just kind of clamped in. I also really like the case right here, but more specifically, right here, you see the BGA-based uh, GPU. It's socketed in. There's this giant option to socket it right here. So, in short, this would really just allow you to, uh, if you are the manufacturer here, if you are testing out different GPUs, you would still have the same CPU on here, you would still have the same motherboard, hard drive, and such. Well, hard drive you can swap out, but if you're doing different GPU testing on here, you're just able to literally unlatch this, pop out the old GPU, put in a new GPU, and do your testing as needed. And then this is, no, that's the third photo. And then this here is the other photo right here. And I just love that you get to see like all the drawing and stuff on here. Obviously the power plug. And then it looks like there's an additional board right here because you have a couple of, I believe, serial jacks right there. Uh, so really cool to see overall. And I just, I, I love seeing just like odd hardware like this. Uh, this thing is also huge too, so I, uh, you know, I am curious. I do wonder if uh, this cools any better than the final, like, retail typical uh, Xbox 360 fat case that we do see. If this would help with cooling at all. Anyways, that is about it for this episode of Mod Chat. Hopefully, you all enjoyed it. Hopefully, you all got some entertainment watching this, listening, tuning in. However, you were consuming it here. And typically, if you've made it to the end, I like to do a keyword or a key phrase that way I'll know that if you've made it to the end here and use this keyword or key phrase in a comment on the video upload, I'll know that you've made it to the end. And uh, of course, like I said, I'm bundled up a little bit for this episode here just for fun. Uh, also changed up the hat, of course. But uh, it, you know, one interesting thing about this, this hat is really, really cozy and comfy and warm. Uh, but you know when you go out and people be burning up firewood and all that, and you just like smell it all over. Like I personally like that smell, but the smell of the firewood has actually like gotten into to the fur here so uh it's kind of cozy but also unexpected every single time i put this on and kind of like catch a whiff of it just because it's like nice fresh firewood in a way
Either way, let's uh, go with fire. How about that? Uh, do you like fire? How good were you at putting out fires, whether it be in the IT world or, I guess, real life? Do you enjoy starting fires? Do you enjoy campfires? Whatever it might be. As long as you use the word fire in a comment on the video upload, I'll know that you've made it to the end of this episode of Mod Chat. Anyways, that is about it for this episode of Mod Chat. Speaking on that, thank you all very much for listening and watching, of course, as it is always appreciated here. And if you enjoyed this episode, a like would absolutely be appreciated. If you didn't like it, a dislike is fine as well, too. Anyways, this is Mr. Mario signing off. Thank you all for listening and watching, everyone. And until next time.